hope that you have your Bibles with you, and if you do, would you turn with me to the book of John, chapter 21. It was uh, it was my intention to uh, ask somebody to read this for me this week, and the week just got away from me. There are so many people in the church here that have great voices, uh, that have a great, uh, that just sound good reading. Um, I've always been told that I have a face for radio, but I don't know if I necessarily have a voice for it, but um, <laughs> it is time for the children to go downstairs also, uh, so if you are a child and you are here, you can head downstairs for Children's Church. We're going to focus this morning on, uh, in chapter 21, verses 15 to 19, but I, I'd like to read, uh, as it says in your bulletin there, uh, starting at the beginning of the chapter, reading through verse 19, just to give the entire story here. So let's read together. Hear now the word of the Lord. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it, haul, haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard it, that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in, in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? For they knew that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, Son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. 
He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. After saying this, he said to him, follow me. Amen. So every week, uh, David and I try and get together. It doesn't happen every single week. But um, we try and get together most weeks, and we talk about things going on in the church, and we pray together, and it's, it's a really wonderful time. And uh, this past Wednesday, we usually get together on Tuesdays, but for some reason it didn't work out. So this past Wednesday, we got together, and um, we were chatting and talking, and uh, he said, well, it's about noon, we should, we should pray. And as I uh, brought my hands up to pray, my, my finger touched my watch. Now, I just got this watch. It's, a, it's a, uh, one of those Apple watches. I saved up my pennies for a long time, and I got it because, well, okay, the real reason is I'm getting older and I need to start keeping track of things like how many steps I take and make my water intake and making sure I'm, you know, staying healthy. I've actually, it's funny, I've been telling the, um, I've been telling the students in the youth group that I plan to live, Lord willing, to 115. Because if I live that long, I will have successfully lived in three centuries. 115 will take me to the year 2101. And I will have lived in the 19th, 20th, and 20th, or what, 20th, 21st, 20th. I don't know how these century things work. <laughs> uh, you have to subtract one and then carry the four, and I, I don't know. Yeah, I, it's always confusing. But anyway, I just think it would be cool to be able to say I've lived in three different centuries and see the craziness that humanity has gone through in all of those times. So anyway, so I got this watch, and um, it does this really fun thing. Uh, I don't know, if, it, if you have an Apple Watch, you know that you can put different faces on it, okay? And so I have Mickey Mouse on mine, and so it does this really, and the, the main reason is it does this great thing where I can just press it, see if it'll do it here. Do you, do you hear that? Let me, let me try this again. So I don't even have to look at it. I just press it, and I can hear it, and it, Mickey tells me what time it is. It's great. Well, during our time together, he, David says, well, it's about noon. We should pray. And I bring my hands up, and I accidentally hit Mickey, and Mickey says, it's 11.59. <laughs> like, right, like a split second after he says, well, it's noon, and Mickey contradicts him, and it was just, <laughs> stupid mouse. No, oh. <laughs> it, was, it was a funny thing, and I, and I thought, i got to share this with everyone, because that's just a funny story. But in the midst of our meeting, we were 
talking about, uh, we feel as, you know, a, a pastoral staff that things at the church right now are going really well, and we're not quite sure that either of us can take credit for that. <laughs> uh, in fact, we're certain we can't. Um, but things that here at, at church just seem to be really good, we, we feel like, we, we said in our meeting, we feel as though God is doing something really cool in our church, and something that we might not even really be able to put our finger on or recognize, we just we feel a spirit of unity, and we feel that uh, just there is a great love for each other going on here. And we were just saying how, how we love that. And again, we're, we're not quite sure what the Lord is doing, but we know that it's good. Um, typically in those times myself, I'm like, well, okay, well, we better look out for when the enemy is going to attack here, because if things are going well, that means something's coming. Uh, but um, that's just me being a pessimist, I guess. But I, the, today's message, I think, is, is part of, you know, like I said, things are just going really well. There is a great love for each other. And so I hope that today's message is part of that overall feeling of just being challenged, again, that the Lord is doing something really cool here, and, um, and I hope that this challenges you. I, I'd like to go through John 21 here, the story of where Peter um, is brought back in. Uh, uh, many scholars call this, you know, the, the recommissioning of Peter, and so um, let's, let's dive into the text together. But before we do that, let's pray together. Gracious God, we are so grateful for your word. We are grateful that you have spoken to us and that you led men so long ago to put these writings and, and your, the, the message that you have for us. You led them to put this all together in this book so that we today can read it and study it and know you. We are so grateful, God, for your word. And we pray this morning that as we open it and as we dig into this passage, Lord, that you would speak to us. I pray, Lord, specifically that you would hide the teacher behind yourself. These would be your words. May we see you in the text. May we hear from you in the text. And Lord, may we allow, allow this text to change us to change our minds, to change our hearts. May we grow closer to you, Jesus. We thank you and we praise you, God. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. So we're going to talk a great deal this morning about Peter. Uh, as I said, this is kind of his recommissioning um, after his denial. We just got done celebrating Easter and Holy Week. And so this is kind of the next step. When David asked me to Preach today, he said, preach on something Eastery. Okay, so here we go. <laughs> so at this point in, in the narrative, in the text, Peter, I think, is kind of unsure of who he is, where he stands with Jesus. Uh, as I said, he kind of went through this big ordeal of denying him. Um, if we go through the story of the gospel, Peter has quite a roller coaster journey. 
In Matthew 16, we see that he, uh, at Caesarea Philippi, he confesses that Jesus is the Christ. And of course, that's where uh, Jesus says, Upon your confession, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not be able to, to, stand, uh, to withstand it. And um, so he has that confession. And then, of course, at the Last Supper, uh, Jesus says, All of you will scatter like sheep. And Peter has this great declaration that even though everyone will scatter, I will die with you. I will, if, if every single one will leave, I will still be by your side. And the 30-some verses later, th- th- this, this struck me when I was going through the text here and finding this. Uh, this is kind of a brilliant move by whoever put the chapter and verses in Matthew, that they had this be in Peter's, the, the, his statement at the Last Supper, and then his denial are all in the same chapter. Now, I realize as we read through the text, we see that it's also in the exact same night, but it was just an interesting kind of way that it was put together that he doesn't even make it to the next chapter before he denies Jesus. And really in the story, he doesn't even make it to the next day before he denies Jesus three times. And then, of course, we have this narrative here in John 21 where Peter goes fishing. Essentially, what is happening is Peter decides that he's going back to his old life. He says to some of the disciples that he's with, I'm going fishing. And really, it's kind of interesting because even in, in that scenario, Peter is a leader because the other disciples follow him away from the commission that Jesus had given them uh, to spread, spread the gospel. They follow Peter to go fishing, back to his old haunts, back to his old life. And so we come to the text here, and Jesus asks this question of Peter three separate times. And the language that is used, the terminology that's used in each of these is, is quite interesting. And I, I, So let, let's go through it. Starting here in verse 15. Uh, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Now, the word that Jesus uses here when he says, do you love me, is that word agapeo, and that means a God love, an unconditional, undying, completely surrendered love. So he asks Peter, do you love me the way that God loves us, essentially? And Peter responds, with the word phileo, which is the Greek word for love that means a brotherly affection, a family love, a family affection. Interesting that he does not match the word that Jesus gave him. You know, I think if this scenario had taken place back at the Last Supper, Peter absolutely would have used the same word. So we see a little bit of maturing here. Now, with this question, scholars are kind of all over the board as far as what Jesus specifically meant, and there are two possibilities. The first is that Jesus is asking Peter, do you love me more than 
these fish, this boat, fishing in general? Do you love me more than your old life? Again, uh, uh, yeah, do you love me more than your old life? Another scenario could be that he, Jesus is kind of indicating to the other disciples present. And he's saying to Peter, do you love me more than all of these other guys love me? I think this is a little bit, not necessarily a test, but again, it's a hinting back to the Last Supper that if Jesus had posed this question to Peter then, Peter absolutely would have said, of course. I mean, that's essentially what he said at the Last Supper. All of these guys are going to flee and I will not leave you. All of the disciples ran, but Peter's the only one that verbally denied that he knew Jesus. So with these two possibilities in mind, which way is it? Is Jesus saying to him, do you love me more than your old life or do you love me more than these other disciples? And you know, as I was thinking about this, I thought it doesn't really matter which scenario it is. The fact is, is that Peter is asking Peter, or excuse me, Jesus is asking Peter, do you love me? And so if we pose this question to ourselves, and when we get towards the end of our time together, we're going to ask this question a good bit of ourselves. But for right now, let's just ask the question, do we love Jesus more than the world? Or to take it a step further, do we love Jesus more than we love our sin? In preparing for this message, I read through and looked through First and Second Peter a good bit, and I thought it would be really, really cool if I could craft this entire message with just pulling from Peter, since we're talking about him. And we're, we're going to look at it a good bit, but of course there's so many other great passages in Scripture that we have to go to. But here for this first question, do we love Jesus more than the world? Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 20, For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world, through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse than worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them to never have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. And in 1 Peter chapter 4, he says this, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. And one more, this is quickly becoming one of my most favorite verses. 1 John chapter 2, verse, starting in verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. 
and the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So do we love the world? Do we love our sin more than Jesus? Now, if, if it is the second scenario where Jesus is asking Peter if he loves him more than the other disciples, he's kind of giving him a chance to boast here, to see if you know, he's going to go back to that attitude he had at the Last Supper. And of course, as I said, Peter shows a bit, of, a bit more maturity here that he didn't have previously. He says, Lord, I love you with a brotherly love. And so Jesus invites him back to the ministry by saying, tend my lambs. And this is an indication that Jesus is inviting him to look after, to minister to those who are new believers, who are freshly coming into the faith. And then he asks him a second time. He says to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So he said to him, tend my sheep. I just realized that, uh, okay, there we go, cool. So again, here at the second question, Jesus uses the same words. He uses the word agapeo. Peter, do you Love me the way that God loves. That's what the word agapeo means. It it has come to be in Christianity the, the term God love, the way that God loves us so unconditionally. And uh, so he, Jesus uses this word again. It's the same word as the first question. And Peter uses the same word that he uses in the second. He says, Lord, you know that I love you, a brotherly affection. And so here we see that Jesus, now that he has addressed the first problem, now that he has asked Peter, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than your old life? And he kind of clears all of that away, clears everything else away. Now, plain and simple, no lip service, Peter, do you love me? And again, it's another chance for Peter, I think, to boast, to go back to his old attitude, to say, yes, Lord, I love you the way that God loves us. I love you completely, wholly, unconditionally. But that's not what he does. Peter gives complete honesty. I think recognizing he could never love Jesus the way that he ought and in fact, Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25, For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. He recognizes that we, as, as it says in the book of Isaiah, we all like sheep have gone astray. Paul puts it this way in Romans 7, starting in verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. 
Now if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that whenever I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my, in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You see, Peter knows, finally, that he cannot love Jesus as he ought. I think he has learned the lesson. That the sin in him will keep him from loving Jesus fully and completely the way that he should. And he admits it. He is open with Jesus here about it. Jesus says, do you God love me? And he, and he says, Lord, you know that I brotherly affection love you. And so with that honesty, Jesus says to him, shepherd my sheep. And the word that he uses here is the word that we, we get our word pastor from it. So he tells Peter, pastor, be a pastor to my sheep. So Jesus asks him a third time. And let me just pause here and say, I, I think we all recognize that Jesus is walking back the three denials that Peter, that Peter said. And, and it, it's interesting, I was thinking about this. Um, you know, my wife Abby and I have chickens. And uh, they are funny creatures. <laughs> we originally got them for, for eggs, and then eventually we thought, you know, we'll, when they stop laying eggs, we can, we'll butcher them and have chicken. I don't know if I can do it now, because they're like pets. We gave them cool names, and when they run, they have no arms. So I honestly, I think this is a total rabbit trail. I'm, I apologize. I honestly think that chickens are the direct descendants from velociraptors. 
if you know anything about dinosaurs, just the way they run, and they're, they're awesome. But anyway, I was thinking, so uh, they do this funny thing where when one is in the coop laying an egg, another, wherever they are, if they're in the coop or somewhere else in the yard, they just start clucking like crazy. And it's almost like one person in our, one, one of our flock is vulnerable, so I'm going to make all this noise so if a predator is around, they'll come after me and not go after the one who's sitting there laying an egg. But it made me think, you know, Jesus tells Peter, before the rooster crows, before this chicken clucks, you will deny me three times. And I got to think that every time Peter heard a chicken after that, he had this auditory memory that came back. I don't know if, I don't know if, if, if you experience this. For me, it's, you know, it, when you hear something that's kind of from your childhood, it just, it takes you back in an instant. For me, it's more, it's more of a smell thing. If I smell suntan lotion and cigarette smoke, I get taken back to the beach when I was a little kid. For some reason, at the beach in the 90s, it was all about suntan lotion and cigarette smoke. But, it, but it's just, so, I, I don't know, I don't know. That's just a weird thing that goes on in my head, I guess. But I just think for Peter, every, every time he hears, from here on out, every time he hears a rooster crow, he's going to think about that time that he denied Jesus. Now, if, if this scenario in, in John 21 had never happened, how torturous would that be? Every time he would hear a chicken cluck or a rooster crow, he would think about that time that he denied Jesus. But because of what Jesus does here, that memory would be a good one. Instead of thinking about when he denied him, it would turn into thinking about when Jesus redeemed him. And I think that that's, that's so beautiful. So Jesus walks back his third denial and asks him again a third time. This time, though, he changes the language. And he kind of comes down to Peter's level. And he says, Peter... Do you love me? Do you have brotherly affection, family affection for me? And Peter responds, and it says, the text says here that he is grieved. Peter is, uh, let, let me read it, uh, in verse 17. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And it says, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And the word that's used here is a word that is grieved to the point of death. This is where Peter, I think, finally dies to himself. This is where Peter grabs a hold of Galatians 2.20, that I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ living in me. Jesus asks him a third time, do you love me? And it grieves Peter. He finally is dying to self. Now he is also grieving because there's doubt implied in this question, and he is the source of it. He's the one. He's the reason 
that there's doubt. He's the cause for it. But he uses two words here. He says um, in verse 17, Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. And the first time, the first word he uses there means that by your nature, because you are God, you know that I love you. Lord, you know, by your nature, you know, you know everything. And then the second word here, you know that I love you. And the second word is a, is a more of an, you know because of the experience that you are having. I am telling you here that I love you. And so Jesus commissions Peter to be the shepherd of the shepherds. He restores him back to that leader of the church status. So here's my question. If Jesus does this for Peter, what does that mean for you and me? Well, I want to look at this in two ways. Asking the same question that Jesus asked. Do you love Jesus? Do you love him? Because according to the scriptures, this is a vastly important thing. It's not enough that we just come to church and sing the songs and do the prayers and read our Bibles. All of that is important. But what is most important is that we love God with all that we are. Deuteronomy chapter 6 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Everything that you are. When Jesus was asked in Matthew 22 what the greatest commandment is, that's the one that he gave. Love God with everything that you are. Romans 8.28 Romans 8.28 says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, "But But as it is written... What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who read their Bibles, for those who pray, no, for those who love him. James chapter 2, excuse me, we've been in James for quite a while here. James chapter 1. I cannot find it. (laughs) James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. And then in chapter 2, verse 5. Listen, my beloved brothers. Has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom, the kingdom 
which he promised to those who love him. It's not just lip service, my friends. The Bible says that we are to love Jesus, truly love him. You know, and as I was preparing this, I kind of, I was in my office, and I sat, leaned back in my chair, and I thought to myself, you know, when I say this, I'm sure there's going to be somebody in service who is thinking, because if I thought it, I'm sure somebody else will. Why should we? Like, isn't it just enough to come to church and, and just do the Christian thing? Why should we love God? And you know, I was drawn to Ephesians chapter 2. Specifically verse 13, but let me read a few verses before. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world. Verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace that you have been saved. And then verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You know, I don't think the question is, why should we love God? I think the question is, how could we not? We were far off, and he brought us near. Peter, because of his own actions, was far off, and Jesus brought him back. He brought him near. Friends, that, that is the gospel. That we were dead in our sins, but God made a way in Jesus to bring us back. So, if we love Jesus, what are we to do? Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. And what does he say after that? Tend my sheep, feed my sheep, shepherd my sheep, serve those who are going, who are also going to follow me. And so if we love Jesus, we will serve one another. Paul puts it this way in Philippians chapter 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, Essentially what he's saying here is, if you are going to be a Christian, any affection or sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you Look not to his own interests, but to the interests of others. The second question here 
If Jesus does this for Peter, what does it mean for you? Firstly, again, do you love Jesus? And the second question here, do you know the cost? After this encounter that Jesus has with Peter, he says to him in verse 18, Truly I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Verse 19, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after this, he said to him, follow me. You know, it struck me that from this moment on in the story of Peter, all that we read about him in the book of Acts, the the two books that we have um, credited to him in the scriptures, he did all of that with this knowledge that he was going to give his life for the cause of Christ. That was astounding to me. Peter knew the the whole time. It's not like when he was, uh, church tradition has that uh, he was in, in Rome, he was one of the elders of the church in Rome, and he was captured and crucified upside down. And he knew, the whole rest of his life, he knew that that was going to be his end. And I was astounded by that. And so I asked this question, do you know the cost of following Jesus? Jesus says in Matthew 16, I'm going to turn to it so I don't mess it up. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life, in other words, whoever is going to hold on to his life, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, whoever gives me their life, will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Do you know the cost of following Jesus? He says you could gain everything this world has to offer and in the end you would give it all back to save your soul. He says if you hold on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you surrender it to me, you will save it. One more passage from, the, from Philippians. This is in, in chapter 3. Paul is writing this and he gives a whole, at the beginning of the chapter, he gives a whole list of his credentials. Everything that he has gained in the world thus far. And then in verse 7 he says this. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. And let me just say, my friends, that that that's a tame word for what Paul actually said here in the original Greek. I count them all as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, 
not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind me and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So I ask you again, do you know what it will cost you to follow Jesus? Praise God that we live in a country right now where we don't really have the threat of death or persecution, but it's becoming obvious that to truly follow Christ in this culture is going to cost you something. It might be a job or friends or involvement in activities. Whatever it is, Paul says, it's worth it. For the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. And I think that this is what Peter, Peter knew this and he grabbed a hold of this. And so to close our time together, Looks like I'm trying to break my own record here. To close our time together, I want to give you a little bit of homework. Knowing what we know now about Peter, that he knew where, what it was going to cost him to follow Christ. He knew the end that he was, he was going to meet because Jesus told him. He still was the leader of the church. We read about in the book of Acts everything that he did establishing the church. And he wrote these two letters to other churches. I want to issue you a challenge this week to read through First and Second Peter with that in mind. That everything that he said in those books, he knew what it was going to cost him to follow Jesus. Let me give you a little, a little further. It, I've been doing this thing with my kids that we call it's old Puritan practice. It's called family worship. We just take a few minutes every night, sing some songs, pray together, read some scripture. And it's just been an incredible time with my kids. We're not perfect. We don't do it every night. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> there are nights where I'm just like, go to bed. <laughs> but uh, it's, I, I just challenge you. Maybe that's something that you can take up as well with your family. Just read a few. Read a chapter or a few verses together before bedtime. But this week, however you're going to do it, read First and Second Peter in the light of knowing that Peter knew the end that he was going to meet. And to kick you off, I'm going to close our time here by reading the first chapter of Peter. I'm going to start in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, 
kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith and salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice uh, rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not conform to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly. From a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. Amen.